Welcome to the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, myself, hi, I'm Ryan, and Chris Bellamy got to talk to Louis Giglio. Pastor Louis, oh my gosh, this is one that you are going to want to just like save this or download it or take notes. Uh, we only had about a half an hour to talk with him, but man, he dropped more wisdom than I think I've heard in a real long time. Just an incredible man. So I hope you enjoy this episode, Church Collective Podcast. Well, I mean, Goliath Must Fall obviously is, you know, the classic story of our faith journey. Everybody that has a clue about Christianity knows about this little shepherd boy who goes out into the valley to fight this giant. And so we've all grown up with that story, but I think as I taught it here at Passion City a few years ago, it was the big twist in the story that really cracked it open in a new way. And that big twist was that we are not David in the story of David and Goliath. And <laughs> that was a pretty big revelation for, for people who grew up in church because that preaches so well. This little shepherd boy, you know, all 97 pounds of him could take down this big giant Goliath and you can take down all the giants in your life too. Yeah. And that worked good at summer camp, but it didn't pan out when we were 37 and 47, and that same giant was in our story. And so we kind of peeled the story back, looked at the fact that Jesus is David in the story of David and Goliath, that he's the giant slayer who takes down all the giants. And then we started talking about giants, and we all have them. And it was just one of those moments, Ryan, where you know, the, the message resonated with people and you can feel that. And, you know, it's kind of like leading a worship song, you know, right away, you know, there's something different here. Yeah. And so we worked that out into a, a book. It's helped a lot of people, but I found a really great writing partner in the last few years working on the kids devotionals indescribable and how great is our God. And she has a real, um, a real gift for writing things at different levels. And, so we, we took the book down to the level of a, a 9, 10, 11-year-old who's a young reader, yeah. but honestly, he's got all those same giants going on. And it's the first, first book we put out in that category of age in that zone, but I'm really pumped about the message, helping, uh, helping guys and girls find freedom from their giants. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard any like cool stories on it at this point? Well, it's just coming out, actually. We're just a yeah. few days away from release, and so... <laughs> Uh, not not quite yeah that's driving anywhere uh we didn't get advanced copies i don't know why they don't do that for kids uh, like they do adults but i've got some kids on the radar that are friends of ours and families that are close to us and i'm really you know they'll hopefully i'll get the honest feedback and um <laughs> sure that's, that's uh, i'm hoping it's going to be great i believe it will be yeah Talk about maybe the the original one. Like, I'm sure you've got fantastic stories for that. Do you have something? I think the last time we talked was when you were putting out that book. So maybe just over the over the years, you got any, like, really stories that just pop into your mind on that one, too? Yeah, I mean, so many. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, someone that we heard from just a couple of months ago that I I heard from a friend that, you know, like a lot of us was at that point of saying, I'm just going to cash it all in. And we've seen a lot of that in 2020. A lot of people have just opted out because this has been too much for almost all of us on some sure. level. Yeah. And um, they actually were um, at a friend's house. They saw the book there, wasn't even in their house. They captivated by the title, picked it up and opened it directly to the pages where I was talking about struggling with uh, fear and anxiety and 
uh, depression and, and it just related in a way. And they thought, I don't know what this is or who this guy is, but I'm going to dig in. And it really, the book was a big catalyst for them, but it also helped them open a conversation with the people around them. And obviously it takes both of those things when you're struggling with, you know, major decision thoughts on that level. And um, the person has a great story to tell now. Obviously, it's only been a couple of months since that happened, but mm. is on the right path, still alive, taking it day by day with Jesus. And that's yeah. what it's all about. That's great. A lot of the um, people we have on the podcast are songwriters and uh, artists, and, and we're always interested in hearing their process for writing songs. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in hearing your process for, you know, getting a book done um, as far as like the collaboration process and the beginnings of it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it, uh, it's similar to writing a song actually for me. Um, some of it just flows and some of the songs I've been a part of writing, you know, they just, they just float. That was it. I mean, it wasn't like a day long writing camp um, in a big process of tweaking and it was just like, here it comes. And now the song's practically finished um in an hour or two and some of the writing in goliath must fall and the other books i'm working on a new book right now that's coming out in the spring that i'm just finishing and a lot of these books you know started as messages and so i wasn't starting i was just staring at a blank page going lord i need something you know please <laughs> just give me the first word um i kind of knew where i wanted the message to go but at the same time, you can still stare at that screen all day long, even though, you know, I'm writing a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. I preach this message a lot. Seems like that should flow out. And um, so I do have a collaborator in that process who helps take messages, organizes them, gives me starting points and kind of gets the wheels turning. But then a lot of it, you know, it's same as writing a song, Chris, a lot of it, I'll just sit down and all of a sudden it'll be like, I feel it right now. I know that sounds weird, but an artist understands that. It's like, I feel it right now. And I mean, I'll just go and I'll either rewrite a chapter or rewrite three or four pages or write three or four, five, six, 10 pages on my phone, on the back of a napkin, uh, in my journal, wherever I can get a piece of paper. And so it's kind of that both end process. And for someone like me, I needed uh, an encouraging, encouraging partner uh, because there's a lot going on every day and it's a big commitment to, you know, to get 40,000, 50, 60,000 words on a page. So I've had some good partners along the process um, that are taking my ideas and material, helping uh, get things at least off the ground. And then that gives me the freedom to come in and, um, jump in and really take them where I feel like they need to go. How much are you like trimming back at the end? Like, are you like, there's there pieces that you're like, nah, I don't think this should go in there. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the best writers and I've, I've studied writing a little bit and the best writers, you know, get rid of a lot of it at the end. I know a friend that just wrote a book, 90,000 words worth, maybe it was a hundred and it was a 40,000 word book that they were contracted for. So they'd written two and a half books and, you know, were just lopping off things left and right. I, I tend to write more on the lean side to start with and um, not, not back in essay in the old college days style where you're just trying to make every sentence as long as humanly possible so you can 
hit the word count, but I'm usually on the other end of that going, okay, I, I need to put in another illustration or another text or another paragraph here. So there's not much trimming going on at the end of the day. And on the book I just finished, I'd say maybe 10% of it got trimmed out only for the hope of strengthening kind of, again, like songwriting, you know, ten, the tendency is when you finish a song, there's something that can go that will make the song even stronger, even if it's a, a word in the pre-chorus uh, or, you know, only halving the bridge instead of the, the double bridge that you wrote. And so um, normally there's a little that goes at the end, but fortunately it's not, not a giant haircut. Could you give us a little, I mean, this could take the whole thing, but like maybe just a snippet on how are you and Passion City Church navigating this year? <laughs> what's going on right now with you guys wow. yeah like everybody else is uh day to day yeah and that's a, you know that's a phrase i really haven't loved using in leadership ever sure but in 2020 there just haven't been any options it's been a week-to-week day-to-day thing and you know we had a little bit of wisdom on the front end ryan um, and i don't know god just helped us understand on the front that this was going to be a thing and not a thing in the sense that 220,000 people in America will have died and there'd be a thousand people die today. I mean, no one, I don't think, thought that in October, a thousand people a day were going to be dying. And it's real. I lost uh, one of my dear friends on Monday. To COVID. Oh, I'm sorry. And so it, um, it's been longer than we've thought. And the only good thing about us is that when we were in the very beginning, I'll take you back for a minute. So I think yeah. the NBA canceled their first game on maybe March the 11th, something like that. So that's kind of like D-Day for all of us, right? Right. And we were in this very space where I'm on this uh, podcast right now, some of our executive team guys, and we were trying to decide what are we going to do Sunday? Well, if the NBA plays, we're going. And we had a home United soccer game here on Saturday. Um, there was a couple big things happening. The Braves were playing. And so it's like, if they play, we go to church. If they play, yeah. we, if they don't play, we might have to do this. And <laughs> we, we must have spent two hours grinding this out with all these scenarios and these what is situations. By the time that meeting ended, <laughs> the NBA canceled their game. And I mean, the dominoes just fell. By the time we got back in here the next day, two or three more dominoes had fallen. And we decided right then and there, we're not having any more hour long meetings about anything related to COVID. Hmm. Because, but by the time we have an hour long strategy meeting, the whole situation will have changed at the end of that meeting. Yeah. And we would have wasted that entire meeting. So we, we settled in um, and we decided that this was gonna be a marathon and not a sprint. Shelly and I just looked at each other and said, we're not doing, uh, Instagram live every night. We are not creating a TV program. We are not going to, you know, now that we're all quarantined at home, we're not going to try to build up a big, a big platform every night from our home because we realize we've got to go a long, long way. So we've been pacing ourselves and fortunately we're all still here. And I think the key thing for us all is to be asking this question, you know, are we getting it? And I don't know if the answer is yes or not. I wish it was, but I'm not sure that the church is really fully getting all that God wants us to get in this. Mm. And we're about to get at some point, looks like more like next year than this year, a restart. Yeah. And you don't get too many do-overs in life. Um, and we all have gotten an incredible opportunity to get a restart personally, 
as families, relationships, churches, businesses, organizations. And honestly, that's not all bad. It hurts, um, especially if someone out there is losing their business or has lost their job. That's real. Yeah. To get a restart is a gift and the whole world is getting that. And I pray that we come out of it stronger, hopeful, yeah. um, more committed to the things that matter. And that's the message we just keep preaching at Passion City. COVID is real, but it's not bigger than the kingdom. It's not bigger than the church. Sure. We are weeping with those who weep, but we're also preaching a big story. And we've seen, as have most churches, a lot of significant things happen around the world uh, through the reach of our church. And, you know, Passion City was not online before COVID. Hmm. Uh, we philosophically hadn't decided if wow. we wanted to. <laughs> I remember that we talked about that before. Yeah. <laughs> So we just weren't sure, but we had invested an enormous amount of money, time, energy, resource, getting ready to be online all of last year. In mm. fact, for most of last year, we broadcast to nowhere. We broadcast into the ether every Sunday uh, with hosting and um, all the elements. I mean, like for real, it's just wow. it, went, it went into the wall and not into the atmosphere. So when we did make that decision after two or three of those meetings on you know, that early week of COVID, we said Sunday we're going online and we just press play. And instead of going into the wall, it went to the world. And immediately, you know, we had a church around the world. And I know a lot of people are watching a lot of different churches. It's not just Passion City. A lot of these people will be watching four churches on Sunday, which is maybe great, maybe not great at the same time. But yeah. I think we're somewhere around 3 million people we've had at church since um quarantine wow and um that's just nobody saw that coming for 2020 so sure. you kind of look at the pauses i mean we had a gathering a few sundays ago where we asked people to text in their prayer needs and um it felt a little bit like christian tv but we were trying to keep it real and we had several thousand people text their prayer requests in and our team's still praying for them. I got a short list of some for me personally to be praying over yesterday. Yeah. And um, those kinds of things and that kind of impact and reach, I mean, real, real fast, because you said it could be the whole thing, but we were, we did this Easter thing with Sadie, Tim, Tebow, and myself doing a third each of the talk. Hmm. And we shared in our above and beyond gatherings a few months ago, this family these sisters in Wisconsin, these teenage girls saw it on Sadie's Instagram. They did not know the Lord, uh, did not have a church that they were a part of. They came to church on Easter at Passion City Online. Mm. They, uh, one of them got saved, or one or both of them. I think one of them got saved. The next week, the next one, other sister got saved. And then they told their brother they both had gotten saved and he needed to start coming to church online. And the third or fourth week, he got saved. And you got, you know, a 16, 17 and an 18 year old in Wisconsin who now know Jesus because of COVID. Yeah. So it's the good and the bad. It's, it's, it's really painful and it's a, a lot of loss going on, but it's a, it's a great time to be the church and church. a great time to be leading the church. Yeah. You touched on, um, I think a nerve at the very start where you're saying like, you don't like to say it's kind of a week to week thing. And I think that's like a prevailing feeling for most church leaders. Like for my church, we should be planning our Easter program, but we're like, we don't know what that would be at this point. And we all admit it. So what's your encouragement for the church leader that is um, fatigued by not being able to have like anything more than week to week for this and 
it's going to be a while, it seems like, before we'll be able to really plan for anything. Yeah, I think maybe to, to take the positive, which is if we're not planning our, I mean, we did, we had a meeting last week. I don't know. Uh, it had a lot of ifs in it, but we had a big Christmas Eve uh, planning meeting and had yeah. a big creative meeting. So all these ideas could live some other time in life. It wasn't literally what we we're doing on Christmas Eve. It was here's all these creative ideas we could use on Christmas Eve. But at the same time, because we don't have a lot of assurances in the 90-day window and the 60-day window, I feel like we should be leveraging the flexibility that we do have in the short run because hmm. we've never before really lived week to week like this. And so it means that we can flex and flow. And because we only have 250 people in the building or 350 people in the building versus several thousands of people in the building, we can flex and flow. We can switch up the gathering on short notice because it's all virtual anyway. Yeah. And it just allowed us, I, I think, to have for a moment to feel like a home church, if you will, yeah. with tens of thousands of people at it, because there we just have that ability. And I think that, you know, I haven't heard anybody say they were fatigued from the week to week. I think people are just fatigued from the year and the, the cumulative effect of trying to stay positive, lead people come through the door with a prevailing story and not a, a sinking ship story. It's really been a lot for all of us leading you guys, myself, and everyone is in the same boat. Nobody had a degree uh, in pandemic. You know, <laughs> nobody was alive in 1918 to, to tell us about it and to say, oh, I already did this one time with the Spanish flu. Sure. And so we're all in the same boat and the, the reality is that we're all where we were in March. We're all still there. And I thought surely by now we would be solving different problems, but we're not. We're still solving the problem of are we actually going to be able to come back together as a people anytime in the near future? And one of the things we're adopting internally, and I'll say it on the podcast, but I haven't even really said it to our team is to take things kind of a month at a time and just to say, instead of making a big decision, like some of my friends said uh, two months ago, we're not meeting in 2021, done, decisions made, we're out. Hmm. Um, I was like, okay, that's probably reality. And I think that's where we are, but we never came out and like drew a line in the sand. So when it yeah. got to October, we were like, hey, we need to be having some people in the building and we can. Um, we didn't have to back up on something. And so we're just trying to say, hey, for this month, this is kind of the plan. We're going to reevaluate at the end of the month. And we've done a lot of that and it served us well. And I think that that's still where we are going into the end of the year and, and honestly, probably into next year. I think, you know, it's a big hot topic, but I think wearing face coverings is going to be around in next year. I don't think the vaccine it looks like is going to be the silver bullet on time that we all wanted it to be. And I, this is gonna be a reality that we're all dealing with on some level, probably into next year mm -hmm. and pull day at a time. <laughs> Recently, I was talking to uh, one of my good friends who's a pastor, um, he's late forties. And he, he mentioned, he said, pretty soon, I don't think I'm going to be relevant. Um, and then, you know, I was thinking about you. I've seen you multiple times live and you just seem to stay relevant all the time. Um, and I think it's really cool how, how you evolve and, you know, just, just stay right in the moment. 
and um, I, I think it's a great chance to ask, what would you say to my friend that thinks that, that he's scared of, of becoming irrelevant to the church? Well, the most relevant person at church um, is the one that they write about in Hebrews, and they, it says about him, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I have latched onto that because I made the mistake that most of us make. Um, when you're in your 20s, you're just excited that you're doing ministry. Uh, you're probably at uh, the youth camp, youth group level, because very few people when they're 20s start out, you know, speaking to big stadiums full of adults. So you're at the youth camp, the disciple now, and you're, you're cool because you're 20. And when you're 30, you, you really work hard to be cool because you're not 20 anymore. And so you start dropping all the, you know, the culture references you can into everything and trying to make the kids at the camp feel like, hey, this guy is really cool. He gets it. He listens to the same music we do or at least knows what we're listening to. And then when you're 40, you start realizing what your friend, I think, realizes, which is, I don't think I can keep this up. And they know I'm not cool. <laughs> no matter how many culture references I drop into my talk, they already know I'm 45 years old and nobody thinks that's cool unless you're 46. And so somewhere along the way, I kind of woke up into that journey I was on and I realized, hey, here's the, here's the thing. Um, Jesus is who's relevant. So if your friend or, or myself start focusing on how can I stay relevant, that's not, that is an important question, but it's not the most important question. The most important question is how can I stay full of Jesus, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And I've seen 75 year old guys captivate rooms with more relevance than the coolest, hippest uh, 29 year old guy you've ever seen. And Part of that is because people are looking for grandfathers and fathers right now. They're not looking for brothers and sons. Um, and so the grandfathers are winning out right now. The Charles Stanleys of the world are winning right now. Um, but at the same time, you know, relevance is about being able to be teachable. And I want to be teachable till the day I die. And I'm around young people all the time. I mean, most of our team are 35 and under. Uh, guys on our executive team are 40 and under. And so I'm primarily not around 61-year-old guys like myself much. And I'm around a lot of younger people. And I have to stay teachable because of that. And I think teachableness, Christ-likeness, not that I'm not Christ-likeness, but just keeping your heart on Jesus and being teachable are the things that allow you to stay humble and I'm not saying I'm humble either, but I, but I think that relevant people are teachable, humble, Jesus-focused people. And that's what people gravitate toward. And people, they might like the flash and dash of, hey, this guy knows how to drop lyrics from 2 chains, you know, one of our Atlanta legends into his talk. Or um, one of the other 500 rappers in our city. But at this, and that might be great. And that might be the linchpin for somebody to go, okay, this guy, I'm gonna listen to this guy five more minutes because he knows that Cardi B lives in his town. I mean, he, he knows that, okay? A lot of people don't even know that she lives in Atlanta that live in Atlanta. So, okay, this guy might know something. But at the same time, that's not ever gonna be the thing that turns somebody's heart around. It's gonna be Jesus that they realize is the most relevant thing of all, most relevant one of all. Oh. Um. How about kind of 
similar topic, but um, vacation. How does vacation look for you? Do you do you take vacations? I mean, it feels like you're just always going, 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 going. But uh, do you do you make it a point to do vacations? Uh, yes, uh, for sure. I mean, I I was talking to someone on our team the other day, and I met with uh, some of our young leaders. This was a while back, but this person had remembered it. She said, "From that young leaders lunch we did." And these are young leaders on our team that I wouldn't interact with on a day-to-day basis normally, but they're great people on our team and the future of our team. And so we just had this informal lunch and I was talking about life and they were asking questions. And I think this question came up, something similar, like the work-life balance question came up. And I said, here's the thing about me. I'm more private than the average person, especially on social media. So if you watch my social media, you think my foot is on the gas every day because it's like, oh my gosh, Louis wrote a book. Oh, look, he wrote a young reader's book. Oh, look, Louis is in London preaching at a conference. Oh, look, Louis at a whatever, whatever meeting with three other pastors in Tokyo. And it just looks like the gas is down all the time. But what I said to the team that day was, I said, what I'm not Instagramming are all the the margin around those gatherings. I'm not Instagramming, hey, I'm in Tokyo and I took two extra days and I'm just at this uh, area of town that I really love and is inspiring to me. And I'm just hanging out today basically with no agenda doing what I want to do because that's what I need to do today to kind of get some more fuel in the tank. And so our lives, Shelly and myself, we've learned over time to try to be strategic and we do realize that you just get one shot at life so I'm not really looking for an easy life Uh, but the pace we run at does not work if you don't put a lot of margin around the moments and so this is a good example in pandemic we from you know that moment where we went online all the way up until the summer um, really like most leaders hadn't been anywhere because you couldn't go anywhere And we took three days and drove somewhere that was open, uh, a place that you could stay had just opened. And then that was that, you know, and that's us several months of time with very little margin other than just every day being in the middle of it. But come to the end of the summer, we took an extended break. And coming into the fall, we, Shelly and I both came out of an extended break time away where we really did unplug for um, a couple of weeks um, and it really breathed life into us. And that's the way we've managed to make it this far at the pace that we run at. So I wanna encourage you to learn that. And when you're younger and on the front end, you don't think you need it as much because you feel invincible, but, and you don't have the flexibility to put all that margin where you want it. You've got, you know, kind of like show up when you're supposed to show up. And then you kind of earn your way to a point in life where you can manage those margins a little bit different. And whichever case you're in, I just encourage people to value that and encourage leaders to value it for their people. Because if you want great people to stick around for a long time, you've got to help them figure that out. Yeah. We'll honor your time here. Just a few minutes left, but I'd, I'd love to hear that there's a, what it feels like Chris and I are running into is like, almost a debate between those that are like, you know what, we're not going to meet for the next three years and that's fine. And then others who are, you know, Hebrews 10, 25, we need to be together right now. And that's it. Could you maybe speak, speak to that tension as a pastor? Like, like, where's that line on, you know, should the church be meeting every Sunday is an online service? Does that count as gathering? I'd love to hear just kind of like your pastor's heart on 
where, where, where would you point people to the Bible for that? Well, I think that, you know, we've been hanging out in Acts 2, and daily they went to the temple courts for prayer. Hmm. That's pretty clear. So, you know, church meeting once a week might be missing the mark, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were pretty committed. And then with that, you know, they met in homes, they broke bread, they had fellowship, they were sitting under the apostles' teaching, so everybody didn't just fragment into, hey, this is a great season to just ditch the church. Um, they shared all things in common. People were getting saved every day. Every single day, people were getting saved. And so that meant every single day, somebody had to be doing discipleship. Pretty much every week, somebody had to be doing baptism. Pretty much every day, somebody had to be taking people through the catechism of the early church teaching. So this was a all in, all my possessions, every day, homes and in the temple courts, we're so into this that it is our life versus Sundays I go to church and maybe one night a week I serve on one of the teams at church. So I think if people are, are asking that question, you know, does the church need to come back together? Maybe they need to just, you know, look back at what church really is. Cause I think we need to come out of this calling people to more and not to less. And not, and I hope we come out of it and people aren't back into the, Hey, I try to go two times a month if I can. And, um, you know, if I can, I know they'll understand. And I was traveling this week and we were at our lake house and that kind of church hasn't necessarily been revolutionary in bringing the lost to know Jesus. And that's the last part of that acts two model is every single day, God added to their number, those who were being saved. So what, whatever the answer to that question is whichever model adds to your number every single day, people who are being saved go after that model. Mm. And if it's more about, you know, we're going to kind of turn into the, the a monkish mentality and say, we're just going to dial this thing down um, into a simple liturgy and a house church rotation. Great. Are people getting saved every day? And if they're not, then what you're doing is not working. And if people say, we want to rush back to church because it's our constitutional right to gather and it's a biblical mandate and we don't care about the pandemic. I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to support that position necessarily or not, but are people getting saved when you get back to your regular routine and business as usual? <laughs> and if, the, if people aren't getting saved, then I think the work and the power of the spirit is going untapped because that Acts 2 model is all about spirit power, people getting saved. And um, so that's, that would probably be my answer. Do whatever wins the most people in your city to Jesus. Yeah, that is a fantastic answer and probably a wonderful place to end this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, I was right, right? That was just some incredible stuff. You may want to go back and listen to this again, but uh, we would love to connect with you over on Facebook. Make sure to go to the Church Collective community, hit that uh, button to join us, and, and say hey. Can't wait to see you over there.